Uh, for those that don't know me, I'm Steve. I'm on the pastoral team here at Springwood Baps. A uh, big warm welcome to those that are visiting today. And hopefully, if you are new, please join us for the cafe um, after the service tonight. Some details will come soon. Really great way for us to get to know you and, um, and, say, and say hello. Now, I wonder if uh, that, that reading that we just heard Bill read. I wonder if when, we heard, when you heard that, when you read those words that Luke wrote, you actually ended up with more questions than answers. Perhaps you had more questions. Because let's be honest, this short passage in this gospel that basically is the only thing that covers about 18 years of Jesus' life, an 18-year period of his life, it is a little puzzling, isn't it? If someone only had a few paragraphs to write about my life and cover 18 years of my life, I would hope there would be more than just me appearing to run away from mum and dad and mum and dad getting really angry at me. But yet, this is the passage that we have in the Bible. These verses are the only verses in the Bible that can indicate what Jesus' early years were like. And we can sometimes try and fill in the gaps over these 18 years, try and fill in the gaps of um, trying to make Jesus' biography just a little more rounded, a little more realistic, a a little fuller perhaps over these years. But whenever a writer does this, it usually borders somewhere between absurdity and some sort of fan fiction comic book. There was a particular document that was written in the 4th century where someone tried to rewrite these early years of Jesus. Not even rewrite them, but basically interpret what he thought. This is probably what happened. And the document is called the, the Arabic Gospel of Infancy. And I'll just read a few Uh, sentences that this writer wrote to say this is probably what happened. So the first one that he wrote about was Jesus in the cradle. And this this 4th century document said this is probably what happened. When Jesus was lying in his cradle, Jesus looked to his mother Mary and said, I am Jesus, the son of God, the Logos, who has brought forth as the angel Gabriel announced to thee, and my father has sent me for the salvation of the world. (laughs) This is Jesus in the cradle. Now, this same writer tried to interpret the passage that we're looking at today, Jesus in the temple. And and he writes, this is is probably what happened. He writes, a philosopher who was there present, a skillful skillful astronomer, asked the 12-year-old Jesus whether he had studied astronomy. And the Lord Jesus answered him and explained the number of spheres and heavenly bodies, their natures, their operations, their opposition, their aspect, their triangular, square and sextile, 24ths and 60ths of 24ths and other things beyond the reach of reason. This is what people do. Media was filling in gaps way before the 20th and 21st centuries. But when we look at this passage, I actually think many of the questions that probably went through your head actually are valid. When I read this passage, I think, why did Jesus stay in Jerusalem when his parents left? Why didn't Mary and Joseph notice Jesus was missing for an entire day? A whole day. What was Jesus doing in the temple courts? Were Mary and Joseph's reactions of astonishment and anxiousness, were, was that legitimate? Why does Jesus seem to play it cool with his answer and almost seem a little rude in his response? Why didn't Mary and Joseph understand Jesus' reply? So what I want to do this evening is we're going to step through this passage. 
We're not going to fill in the gaps where we can't fill in the gaps. We're not going to make this a fanfic document. But by adding the richness of understanding these times, in understanding the context, the laws and the traditions back then, to try and answer, we'll try and answer as many of these questions as we can. But ultimately, my prayer for this passage today is that it will lead each of us to a place where we choose to prioritise our relationship with God. Prioritise our relationship with God, just like Mary and Joseph did. Prioritise our relationship with God, just like Jesus did. Perhaps today is a day that you can choose to prioritise a relationship with your Creator. Today is a day where Jesus can become more than just a son of Mary and Joseph. Today he can become your saviour. In the verses uh, preceding the reading today, Luke 39 to 41 on the screen here, it gives us a bit of background. And we should first understand that Jesus' mother Mary and earth dad Joseph, they were devout Jewish followers of God. All through the birth account that we've heard about the last few weeks, they are following the laws, they're following the customs, they're following the traditions of the Jewish faith. And verse 39, he says that they had done everything required by the law of the Lord. Mary and Joseph had done everything required by the law of the Lord. And I think Luke is making it really clear here that the link between godly parenting and Jesus' physical and mental and spiritual and emotional growth is clearly intertwined. Verse 40 says, And the child and Jesus grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom. The grace of God was on him. So I think perhaps the first thing we can learn here is the importance of parenting and the role of a parent or a caregiver or a foster carer or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle is something that should never, ever be underestimated. Let's remember that Jesus is fully God. But he's also fully human. He's not half and half, fully God and fully human. And this means that Jesus needed to learn how to crawl and how to sit and how to walk and how to run. He had to learn to eat. He had to learn how to talk. He relied on the milk of his mother to live. He had to be provided with food and shelter to survive. He was a typical child in many ways. And Mary and Joseph followed God. And they knew the best way to show all of their children, including Jesus, the importance of faith was to live it out. And they lived out their faith in front of their kids. They went to church. They went to the temple together. They would have discussed scripture in their homes. They followed the laws required at the time. They participated in the feasts and the festivals in the Old Testament. They knew that raising godly kids is more than just sending them to a school that might have a scripture class or sending them to a Christian school or telling them to be good and send them off to youth group. They didn't have the saying, do as I say and not as I do. Mary and Joseph lived out their faith in their family and in the craziness of the world around them as well. Think about all the politics, all the stuff that was happening around them their travels from one town to another. And Luke says they had done everything, and for this Jesus was blessed. Now parents, we know it can sometimes be hard to parent kids. Particularly now, in a world that is so hostile to Christianity. 
It can seem like an impossible task. But can I offer you this evening this encouragement that you have the most wonderful role and responsibility for your children to become disciples, followers of Jesus from the day that they are born. And if this feels too big and too daunting for you, just reflect on Mary and Joseph. They just lived each day following God and their kids got to see it. The best way for your kids to become followers of Jesus is for them to see you being a follower of Jesus. So Jesus saw Mary and Joseph living their daily lives with a deep relationship with God. Jesus was with them when they went to the temple, to church. He heard them pray. He saw them read or hear scripture. He heard the debates and the arguments they had. He shared in the meals and the festivals reminding them of God's protection and provision. I hope we can all think today, how can we show our children how to be a disciple of Jesus and why it's so important? And in this church, we know it's so much more than just Pastor Annie and Pastor Steve running kids programs out there. Every child sees every person in in this church living out their faith. We can do things. We can pray in front of them. We can pray with them. We can make church and play groups and kids clubs and youth groups a place to be. It's a priority. We can make going to church such a priority and make not going to church an exception. We can encourage our kids to serve in our church. Every child in our church is watching everyone else live out their faith. How are you living out yours? We didn't plan it for this sermon, but it's so great that this week we're announcing, or Pastor Steve has talked about him and Sky running these parenting workshops. Maybe if you're challenged in this passage today, go along to the parenting workshop um, this, this week. It'd be a great thing to go along to. So back to the passage, the, the narrative from verse 41. So because Joseph and Mary obediently lived out their faith in front of their kids... Every year they went to Jerusalem for this festival of the Passover. And Jewish men were required by law back then to keep three annual festivals that were detailed in the Old Testament. And the feast of the Passover is Israel's remembrance of the deliverance from slavery in Egypt. And Jesus had probably been to this festival maybe 11 times. But now he's 12 years old. Passage says he's 12. And the age of 12 was typically the age where Jewish boys started to transition from childhood into adulthood, entering into the religious community of Judaism. So this particular visit, this one particular visit, would have been very, very meaningful for Jesus. It was common for families to travel in large groups at this time for these regular journeys to Jerusalem. These large groups had brought security from robbers and also companionship for the journey as well. So Mary and Joseph and Jesus and Jesus' other brothers, sisters went to this festival. They participated as required and then they all left in the same big group they came in. Except this time, except for Jesus. Jesus chooses to stay behind. And we can assume that he didn't even tell his parents. This wasn't like most parents, including me, who I remember when my kids are little and other parents do the same. Sometimes you might get frustrated at your kids and say, I'm leaving, bye. And then you kind of hide behind the door and you really hope they come through because, you know, you're never going to leave them behind. This wasn't like that at all. 
Verse 44 says, Mary and Joseph thought Jesus was in their company. They both thought Jesus was there. Now, it was customary of the t- at the time for women and children to actually travel at the front of these groups, and the adult men generally travelled at the back of these groups. So, so one theory as to why Mary and Joseph didn't notice Jesus missing for a while is a 12-year-old boy could conceivably be with the children or the adult men at the back, but we, we don't know. We don't know. But can you imagine the argument between Mary and Joseph? Can you imagine it? I thought you had Jesus. No, I thought you had him. And this would have gone on for three days. Three whole days. Three days and three nights. Talk about a strain on a marriage. Wow. Now, most parents have a story of when they lost a child for a really short period of time. Maybe at a supermarket where they were kind of lost around and there's a few parents looking at each other going, I'm not going to share that one. Um, maybe at a supermarket, kids are getting lost at the Easter show for a short period of time and you can just see the immediate fear and anxiety and worry and panic that sets in so quickly. It's so difficult to watch a parent go through this, let alone experience it yourself. So for an entire day... They didn't realise their son was missing. And now they are a whole day away from Jerusalem. So they make an educated guess that Jesus is probably back here in Jerusalem. And then they spend another whole day going back to Jerusalem. That's two days. And then they spend another day until they find him. This worry, this anxiety, maybe this anger building up hour by hour. Can you picture the feelings of Mary and Joseph? Now, they know who Jesus is, don't they? They would vividly remember every single day the visits from the angels, the miraculous conception, the shepherds, the magi worshipping their baby boy. But as parents, that relief to see their son, the confusion as to why he was still in Jerusalem, The worry quickly replaced with a rising anger and frustration, perhaps. Because there's Jesus in the temple courts, just sitting. He's just listening to teachers. He's asking questions. Everyone around him seems to be amazed at his understanding and his answers. And then Mary and Joseph walk in the room. Three days later. You can imagine the room goes deathly quiet. You can tell how upset they are. This look of astonishment on their faces. The teachers probably glance at each other and just slowly retreat out of the room. And then Mary. Mary, so-called meek and mild. Meek and mild Mary does what every mum would do. And she lets Jesus have it. Look at that, verse 48. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. You can hear that passion in her voice, can't you? Every parent would identify with Mary's response here. Because of your love for your kids, your emotions come pouring out. Now, I think if Jesus said, Oh, sorry, Mum and Dad, I I, I told Cousin John that I was going to stay a little bit longer. He obviously didn't tell you. I'm really sorry. I'll never do it again. Then, you know, you might let Jesus off the hook just a little bit. Just a little bit if he was really apologetic. But Jesus' reply is different, isn't it? Jesus says to his Mum and Dad, Why are you searching for me? Why are you searching for me? 
Now, I'm, I'm guessing here, but I reckon over these last few days, Joseph has probably just been fuming in the background. We haven't really heard a lot about Joseph yet. Maybe fuming in the background. Um, he's lost three days paid work because of what Jesus has done. Three days paid work he doesn't have. And when they first saw Jesus, I can imagine maybe Mary said, noticing Joseph's anger, saying, honey, I'll, I'll deal with this. But when Jesus says, why are you searching for me? I can just picture Joseph stepping forward now, maybe unable to hold in his emotions and say, what do you mean? Why are we looking for you? We've been searching for you for three days and you're sitting here in the temple. What do you mean? Why? Well, that would be my reaction anyway. But Mary and Joseph, they knew the true identity of their son, yet this didn't stop them from being concerned parents. So not only does Jesus reply, why are you searching for me? He then says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Jesus doesn't seem concerned as to what he's done. He's effectively saying, you ought to have known where to find me. In my father's house. What this does show is from an early age, Jesus was aware of an intimate relationship with God as his father. That went way beyond the normal religious consciousness of a devout Jew. And just like his parents, Mary and Joseph, prioritised their faith and their relationship with God, so too Jesus was putting his relationship first in his life. He's actually imitating his parents in a way. Jesus would surely have felt bad that he caused his parents to stress. But it also made perfect sense to him as a way of revealing in part to those around him that he needed to be in his father's house. At the temple, at 12 years old, he reveals God as his father and he as God's son. At 12 years old. His relationship with his father superseded his earthly family, even in his human home. And Jesus took full advantage of this time with the teachers in the temple to grow in wisdom, to grow in understanding, and even at this very early age to begin to reveal who his true identity is. So Jesus explains this to his parents, as you can see up there, and verse 50 is probably the most common reaction of any parent when their child explains something to them. It says, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. This family is so related. So relatable. What a wonderful family. Jesus then makes a great decision and he goes back to Nazareth with his parents and was obedient to them. Now this doesn't mean that Jesus was disobedient in his decision to stay at the temple, but it definitely supports the rest of the account of Jesus' obedience to his parents. So as they're walking back in verse 51, it says, Mary, the mother of Jesus, treasured all these things in her heart. Just like she did when she was told she would give birth to the Son of God. That's probably fitting that we don't read about Joseph's reactions walking back. Because if it was anything like me, it would say something like, and Joseph quietly fumed all the way home. Because it was me. But the passage finishes by summarising the next 18 years of Jesus' life. And it says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. So what can we learn from a passage about a 12-year-old Jesus? What can we learn from this account of Jesus 
and his family. And I think firstly, as we've already touched on, the role of parenting and the importance of living out your faith in front of others, particularly children, can never be underestimated. Joseph and Mary lived out their daily lives, prioritising their faith for everyone to see, especially their kids. And their obedience was seen. Their arguments were seen. Everyone would have heard the argument between Mary and Joseph as to where is Jesus. Their faith in God was seen. Can you live out your daily faith for others to see? And not just for your kids, but those around you in your workplaces, in your schools, in your universities. The world notices how you live. If you live for Jesus, people need to see it. Then they have the best chance of also becoming a disciple just like you. Are you living out your faith for others to see? Secondly, in reading this account, we must be challenged in how we are prioritising our faith as well. Is your faith in God and your love for God, your relationship with God, most important in your life? Is resting in the assured salvation given to you through Jesus' sacrifice a priority? Is the busyness of life The busyness of looking after children and parents and families and friends and careers and social groups pushing your relationship with God down the list. Mary and Joseph made this the top. Jesus made this a priority. What can you do to start making this the most important thing in your life? And finally, I want to finish up with Mary's reaction to all of this this whirlwind of emotions that Mary has endured from the conception of Jesus up to this point of losing him for three days. We know Mary knew who Jesus was, but she still hadn't fully grasped the true meaning of all of this. Because over the next few decades, she will continue to remember these things, these events, they will continue to be stored up in her heart. She will be dwelling on them thinking about them over and over again, seeking meaning. And one day, one day, decades later, it would all become clear. One day, her son, her son who was laid in a manger, her son who worried her so much when he went missing, her deeply loved son would be crucified on a cross. Crucified on a cross because he prioritised his relationship with his heavenly father above all things. Mary's son would one day become her saviour. Mary's son would one day become her saviour. Then she would understand when her son becomes her saviour. And today I pray that you would understand that this son, this 12-year-old boy at the temple, prioritised his relationship with God And because of his death and his resurrection, you can choose today to make him your saviour. Will you prioritise Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, and the son of the world, saviour of the world? Perhaps today you'd like to make the step from knowing Jesus just as a son of Mary and Joseph to knowing Jesus as your saviour. And if that's you today, I'd love to have a chat with you or Pastor Steve or Pastor Annie to have a chat about knowing Jesus as your saviour. How about we pray? Our Father God, we are so thankful 
for Jesus. We are so thankful that Jesus was born just like we were. That Jesus had to learn all the things that we had to learn. Lord, we thank you for this account of Jesus as a 12-year-old, giving us an early glimpse, demonstrating he's the son of God. Lord, we thank you for Mary and Joseph, for the example they were to Jesus and his siblings. We pray for parents and carers and grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends, all people that come across the kids in our church and kids in our community, that we can show them how wonderful it is to follow you. And Lord, this week I pray that you will help each of us to dwell on the fact that Jesus is more than just the son of Mary and Joseph, but also our saviour. Amen.